This show is sponsored by the Pragmatic Studio. The Pragmatic Studio has been teaching iOS development since November of 2008. They have a four-day hands-on course where you learn all the tools, APIs, and techniques to build iOS apps with confidence and understand how all the pieces fit together. They have two courses coming up. The first one's in July from the 22nd to the 25th in Reston, Virginia, and you can get early registration up through June 21st. You can also sign up for their August course, and that's August 26th through the 29th in Denver, Colorado, and you can get early registration through July 26th. If you want a private course for teams of five developers or more, you can also sign up on their website at pragmaticstudio.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Ben Sherman. Hello from Houston. We have Rod Schmidt. Hello from Salt Lake. Andrew Madsen. Uh, hello, also from Salt Lake. And we have a new guest panelist, uh, and that is James Zuber. Hello from Minneapolis. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly since you're new to the show? Uh, sure, happy to. So I'm an independent consultant. I've been doing iOS stuff for about two, three years. Before that, I did some kind of .NET stuff. Uh, way before that, I did, did a lot of like C++ and C stuff, kind of a past life. But yeah, doing iOS right now, mobile stuff, and enjoying it. Sounds good. Um, I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and uh, this week we're going to talk about CocoaPods. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Pods. There we go. <laughs> so, like, do we? Uh, so, I'm like super fan of Cocoa Pods. I wonder if we have like um, any haters in the audience or on the panel. I mean. uh, yeah, I, I'm the hater. No, Is not, not really. Okay. I, just, I just can't use it. So we need like. So you're the dissenting opinion. Yeah, I, I, I can do that. Sure. I've I've had people uh, basically say, "Well, it's just like having Bundler. Bundler's a utility in Ruby." For, for iOS, and I was like, oh, well, that sounds nice. But that doesn't really tell me necessarily how it works. So, so can we start off by maybe describing like what it takes to integrate uh, somebody else's code into your project without something like CocoaPods? <laughs> yes. Yes, let's frame anybody it. Else, anybody anybody want to describe this for, like say, uh, a moderately complex uh, library? It depends on how complicated the, the library is, but at its simplest, you can s- just drag source code from their project into yours and, and, you know, add it to your project and that's it. But I think the thing that CocoaPods helps with is that, uh, is dependency, particularly helps with is dependency management. So sometimes the library might rely on a system framework that you don't already use in your project. So you have to go into your build settings and add that library. In. And then of course, updating the code to track updates that whoever provided it makes is a little bit of a pain if you've just copied the source code files into your made copies and put them in your project folder. Yeah, so, so uh, let's just start with that. Like, dragging source files into a project that we we own, I don't know, it drives me crazy. Just the notion that I'm tr- that I'm not, I have, like, no isolation between my code and their code from, a, like, a configuration standpoint. Like, mm-hmm. when during the, like, arc transition, this was especially painful because then you'd have to go in and add those flags to turn off arc for, uh, for older libraries that hadn't updated yet or vice versa if your project hadn't updated yet. And then things like, I don't know, preprocessor definitions or other types of configuration. I don't know. It just seems like dragging and dropping source files into a project is, it's like the least friction way if you just want, like, this one class you found on the internet to get into your project. But, like, over the, life of a project, if you're having to repeatedly do this, it just seems like a horrible solution. 
I, I know I said I was the dissenter, but I, I actually agree with you. Uh, I think that's good. <laughs> so so, uh, so then there's, there's other things like, like uh, what if the, the library that you are bringing in requires uh, like the security framework or something? And then there's like no hint that you need that. You just drag these new classes into your project into hopefully a subfolder or something. And then you build and you get like a ton of compilers because a bunch of symbols that references aren't part of your project. And then you have to say... You go back to the docs and you say, okay, this requires security framework and mobile configuration and whatever else. And so, okay, now I'm going to add those to the project. And then you build, and then it's like, oh, it also requires a lib XML, so let me do that. And that requires some header search paths business. So let me go in and manage uh, header search paths. And if you're like me and sort of prefer my code and a third-party code to be physically separated on disk, like I'll have a maybe an app folder and like a lib folder, for third-party stuff, and uh, I would typically use like a git submodule to pull in like another project into the lib folder. Uh, then you have to manage header search paths for every single library independently, so that you can even get code completion for the projects that you drag in. Right. So I don't know if that maybe that I'm just introducing pain for myself, but that <laughs> that whole process was just made me want to tear my hair out. And then once you get it working, you're like, man, I don't want to go through that again because like the minute X, like Xcode used to have these problems where like if you had too many header search path entries, occasionally it would choke on one of the paths. Maybe the path had a space in it, or maybe it was just um, you had recursive checked on a path that was really deep. But there was times when Xcode would just like lose all of its code completion and syntax highlighting. Um, and it's gotten a lot better about that over the years, but it's still not perfect. And I think having sort of a one common way that works is is ideal. Well, don't make it sound like so much fun, Ben. <laughs> He's setting us up really well. <laughs> yeah, I, I've experienced an enormous amount of pain in this area, and it's because I come from Ruby, and I, I wouldn't say .NET has a good system for this either, uh, but it, it is pretty easy to drop a DLL into a project that you got from somewhere, so it's it's a lot easier. And so then the alternative is, you know, sort of a, like the purest approach. If you were to take all these concerns and say, no, 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 I really want these things to be separate, so I'm going to take the time to create a static library for this other project that maybe just is distributed as an Xcode project. So I'll compile a static library and then I'll link it into my project. And then you have other concerns. There's similar concerns, but it's just kind of like an extra sort of headache that you have to you have to tackle this this work on yourself uh, to create these static libraries. And I think the static library approach is more like importing a DLL, where there's you know a strict separation. There's a separate project for the things that aren't yours. But the, each one you add is kind of complex and adds configuration and everything. So the approach CocoaPods takes is, why don't we just do the static library thing, but CocoaPods will manage it all, and you'll only have one to link in, and you really don't have to worry about it. So it generates a workspace for you. It takes your project and and adds a sister project for the pods that you want to import. And then um, the output of the pods project is a static library, which is automatically linked to your application. And so when you distribute when you distribute it, or rather when you build and you take a look at the output that it generates, you have your .app file and a libpods.a that gets linked in. And uh, to me, that's sort of the best of both worlds uh, without having some sort of uh, Ruby gems system uh, or like uh, being able to link in dynamic libraries like .NET would. seems like this is the best approach. Well, in OS 10, we used to have... Uh... Well, almost ten. We still have frameworks. They're not as widely used as they used to be, but their frameworks are kind of like DLLs, and they don't have them on iOS. I've always wondered why. 
Anyone have any ideas? Oh, does it have to do with the sandboxing? Um, like version I support? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, since I can't right. sort of, I sort of joined this community for iOS and have never really done any Mac programming. So mm-hmm. you can um, put, I've never, you can put frameworks ahead. in the bundle. So that would, wouldn't be a sandbox issue. For, and what if you have, and when you have multiple versions of, uh, some framework that as long as it's just a local reference, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it handles versioning too. Well, t- typically on OS 10, a framework, other than the system frameworks, usually it, you can, you can't, you don't have to do this, but normally frameworks are included in the, in the bundle, in the app bundle. So each app has its own copy. If it's a custom framework, not, not yeah. for the system. Framework. Yeah. And during build, you have to specifically say copy it into the app bundle. Um, but I think the reason for not having those on iOS is that it is, is that they are loaded at runtime. So it's some, some mm-hmm. code security issue. Um, I, we, we use them at mixed in key and also on my own. We use frameworks quite extensively. There are, there, they are our own frameworks, but you know, we have code that is shared among all of our apps and package that up in frameworks. And in fact, I just finished pack, packaging up some code, uh, that's new into a framework last night. So they work well for that sort of code separation. One thing that I'm wondering is, is there a way to write libraries such that they can kind of circumvent all the pain that CocoaPod solves without just putting them in CocoaPods? Um, you can, you can circumvent some of that. So I will do a little, another foreshadowing. Uh, one of my picks today, we'll talk about some of this, but some, some new stuff related to this, but, uh, static libraries with, you know, with like one header, that gets around some of what, what CocoaPods solves, but some of it is, is other stuff like, uh, keeping projects up to date. CocoaPods can do that for you. Uh, if you just copy a static library into your project, you're back to manually pulling in updates to the code. You know, rebuilding the library and pulling it in, or if somebody else is building the library for you, you have to get updates from them. Right. Yeah. And if, if they're providing an Xcode project, that's not a stack library and you're providing that, then you have your own project that has to mirror their configuration. And if they add files, you have to add files and so forth. Yep. So CocoaPods really does solve problems that people have that there's not really another solution for. So one thing that I noticed, because I went and played with the CocoaPods website for a little bit, was that sometimes the libraries were kind of hard to find. Mm-hmm. So if I need something that does a certain thing, how how do I go about figuring out which, which, uh, are they pods? Which pod to use? <laughs> I think I've always just found the library first and like, oh, hey, there's a pod for this. Yeah. It kind of yeah. go backwards versus being able to search the CocoaPods website. If you if you find so, a good good popular library on GitHub, chances are it has a CocoaPod already made for it. And if not, you can actually make your own and submit it to the CocoaPods repository if you want. But like I, I released an open source, a little open source library uh, about a year ago, and within a few days, somebody had added it to CocoaPods for me. Yeah, it's fairly true. Yeah, there's a uh, actual pod. There's like three places that I know of where you can go search for them, um, outside of just searching GitHub for libraries. Um, if you go to CocoaPods.org, there's a search field in the top, and you can search for a specific pod name or a uh, an author. So if you're like a super fan of maybe Matt Thompson's gems or Sam Sofa's gems, not gems, pods. <laughs> then, then you can search there. Uh, but since you already have, like, CocoaPods is distributed through RubyGems. So if you type gem install CocoaPods uh, from a terminal on the Mac, 
it'll download and install the latest version. And from that point on, you have a pod executable on your machine. And so you can type pod search and a search term. So if I do this right now, pod search networking and I hit enter, it comes back with a list of pods that are related to networking. So that's another place you can search. And then the last place that I found is on cococontrols.com. And not all the things on cococontrols are pods, but they have a search field that lets you pick, I want controls or pods or both. Huh. So what are some of the pods that you guys use the most frequently? AF networking. I use RestKit. Uh, RestKit pretty heavily. OCMock is in just about everything I do. Um, yeah, Kiwi or Specta. SV Progress HUD is one. Yeah, that's pretty much a standard <laughs> for me too. Here's where I, I get think- to be at the center. I, I don't use CocoaPods. Um, well, I already said that, but I, I, it's really because there aren't any pods that I want, that I use frequently. So, Is this for Mac or for iOS? I, I mostly do Mac development, but even for iOS. I wonder if that's why like the, like, the pods for Mac are way less than the pods for iOS. Right. Yeah, it's just ra- very rare that there's some third-party code that I want to use or need to use. If you have a, like a system that reusing third-party code is sort of cumbersome, uh, then every little tiny um, extension, let's say you have just like a really handy set of categories on NSArray for doing like a Ruby-style like map and reduce type operations, um, and there's a bunch of pods out there that do this. Uh, one of them is called BlocksKit, and I'm struggling to remember the names of the other ones. But let's say you just have something where it's literally one file with a bunch of additions to a class in it. It may not make sense to, if, if it's cumbersome to embed something like that in your project, then you just won't take the effort to do it. Um, and so then that led to lar- much larger frameworks like uh, 320 and uh, ResKit's kind of one of those, like where it's there's just a lot of stuff in it. And so you, in order for you to sort of pick and choose what you want, you wouldn't necessarily just bring in a gigantic library and then bring in like 15 other little tiny pieces. But with CocoaPods, if you start thinking of things as little tiny atomic units of functionality and one pod can depend on other pods, then it does make sense to bring in things that you want to depend on. Like if you look at like a mature Rails app and you go take a look at the gems, the dependency tree is kind of impressive of what the community is sort of built upon. Like anywhere from like XML parsing to database access or something. I mean, they all build on each other. And that's something that the CocoaPods community is sort of still young at. Like, not a lot of pods sort of work together. Um, but that, that I think that's just a, a matter of time before that happens. And that way we can have much smaller, more focused libraries that become the basis for other libraries. Yeah, it'd be nice if that happened. It, it's kind of a thing where it's not, we're not sure what's going to carry over from my kind of Ruby best practices, what they're doing with the gems and kind of what Objective-C does. Um, you don't really know what carries over. I think the kind of apps that they do are somewhat different. You know, a lot of iOS apps are smaller things where this kind of, kind of focus is maybe not as important as a larger web app, but interesting to see how things kind of develop that way. So what, walk me through the, the steps of kind of getting a, a pod or a library into my application. So you go install CocoaPods, and you said you gem install CocoaPods, is that? Right. So gem install CocoaPods will give you the pod executable on your machine. And then uh, somewhere in your project, um, you can be up to one level above the Xcode project. Actually, I suppose you could put it anywhere. Uh, I added a long time ago the ability to add, to set an Xcode project 
path in the pod file. So you, you basically create a pod file and it looks just like a gem file. So it's syntactically Ruby, uh, but you might not notice. Um, and in the pod file, you have to specify what platform you're on, either iOS, Mac, or both, and then what version you're targeting. And then that's going to control with, what the static library outputs. So typically I'll put platform iOS comma 6.0 if I want to target 6.0. And then um, if my Xcode project is in the same folder um, or I think one folder deep, it will find it for you. And uh, so you don't need to specify, but if it's in sort of a non-standard path or maybe it's in sibling path or whatever, then you can specify the Xcode project and give it a string for where to find it. And then underneath that, you just list out your pods that you want. So the syntax is like pod and then in quotes the name of the pod. Um, and this uses the exact same code from Ruby gems to determine version. So you can say, I want AF networking 1.3.0. Uh, and you can use like the, what is it? Tilde greater than, uh, uh to do I've sort heard, of, I've heard I want it called the twiddle walk. And I've also heard it called something that isn't as family friendly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. We'll call it the squiggle version. So if you do that, then you can say, basically, when you pod install, I'm okay with 1.3.1, but the last significant digit that I typed, uh, I'm okay with incremental versions from there. So if you're following Semver, semantic versioning, then basically 1.3.0, if you use the uh, tilde greater than, then that will allow pods to install 1.3.1, 1.3.2. So you're getting bug fixes without having to worry about breaking changes. And so depending on how you specify your versions and how tolerant you are of upgrades, that sort of thing. Uh, what you shouldn't do is, like, AF networking is eventually going to come out with 2.0 pretty soon. And 2.0 is going to break a lot of things. So if you just have pod AF networking in your project and you do pod install to install something else that's later that you add later on, it will install the latest version that it can. And maybe that means bringing in AF networking 2.0. So I think it's important to like sort of call out the the uh, the notion of sort of locking down your versions to the extent that um, you don't want to deal with upgrades. You know, at some point you do want to deal with the upgrades, and that's when you should change the version and then run pod install again. I think it's important to do the upgrades to the version explicitly. It's like, okay, we're ready to test this, and not just because you're doing a build and your library changes and it breaks stuff that you're not expecting. Right. Right. Are other people kind of putting in their versions pretty explicitly in their pods? I find that no. Uh, <laughs> even myself, when I'm just sort of playing around, I'll I'll forget. And then if it's like a shipping app, like a a real app, like in in our uh, our ongoing apps and stuff, of course I have them in there. But um, when I'm just creating like a little side project or whatever, I, I usually don't put it in there because I just want the latest. And it, and when you're in the sort of active early development, it's okay to tolerate that sort of flux in a library. Uh, like if it changes to 2.0 and you haven't even shipped yet, it's probably worthwhile to take the time to fix, uh, to fix it to get to the latest version. But once you've shipped and you're sort of in maintenance mode, it's definitely important to, to be aware of your versions and what, what could potentially happen if they just decide to create, you know, 5.0 and they have totally different design and things break. This particular thing happened with SB Progress at twice where they upgraded their public interface, like breaking changes all throughout my app. I must have had a, like a hundred different references to show HUD in view, and then they got rid of the in view or something like that. I, I can't remember the exact syntax, but I had to go back and fix them all. And then I updated again, and they changed it slightly again, and it was just, man, was this really frustrating. Version or? I want to say this was before CocoaPods. 
Oh, okay. uh, so I don't know if it actually had a real version. But hence the reason why versioning matters, because I should be able to take the code and leave it the way it was, as long as it's not causing any problems, uh, and lock myself to that version until I'm ready to say, okay, yep, this update adds these features or fixes these bugs or fixes this warning, then I'm now I'm going to take the time to upgrade it. So I will manually bump the version in the uh, uh, in the pod file. And again, if you do pod search with the pod name, it'll tell you all the versions that are available. So that's really handy. And what about, you can do multiple targets, right? Like say you have a test target and a, your main app target. Right. So yes, typically I'll say like target tests and then add Kiwi or Specta or OCMock or whatever to that. Another question that I have is some of these are maintained like on GitHub and stuff. And I know that Bundler lets you specify like a GitHub repository as opposed to, you know, saying pull it from uh, Ruby gems and get this particular version. Does CocoaPods allow you to do that? Yeah, so you can specify a path to a GitHub repository by using the git sha, or not sha, a git hash, like, you know, colon git hash rocket, and then a GitHub repository. So if you do that, though, the pod has to, the pod spec has to be in the root of that repository. So that's true for most libraries who are sort of aware of CocoaPods, but some of them might have it in a subfolder or some might not at all. And uh, so you would have to specify the pod spec elsewhere. So um, some of my projects have a, uh, a folder called PodSpecs, and I'll just create my own PodSpec for that, that library. And um, and it, it can point to a GitHub repository just the same. It doesn't have to be hosted on CocoaPods. Uh, and so I just tell it, okay, go here, fetch the code, here's, how here's the files I want you to build, etc. And then uh, keep that local, and I check it into my own repository. And then in my pod, uh, in my pod file, I'll make a reference to that pod, by saying like pod, my custom pod, and then pass in the pod spec as the path to the pod spec on disk. Um, and then a third option is just copy the code actually into your repository, uh, like maybe get submodule or just, uh, or just like right there in your repository and you can specify a path to the code. Um, and that's really handy if you're like contributing to a library, like let's say I want to do a bug fix for, uh, AF networking. I can, clone AF networking to a folder on my machine, like my dev folder, and then change my project's reference to that pod instead of just with um, without any parameters where it would go to CocoaPods, which would point it to the, the tag in GitHub. I, it would then go to the path on disk and pull it from there. That way I could make changes, uh, fix the bug, and then uh, submit a pull request to the main repository. So that sort of enables this open source workflow that is really, really common in the Ruby community. Yeah, it's really handy to be able to do that kind of thing. Just open things up and make your changes, send a pull request, do all that good stuff. So um, there's a couple other steps. So like once you've finished with your pod file, like initially I will just create a pod file with like a couple of the ones I know I'm going to use. And one of those is like reachability and SV progress HUD and AF networking. So I'll just add like a few common ones that I know I'm going to need. And then uh, then you run pod install. So that will find your Xcode project. And it uses an Xcode project gem to uh, sort of interact with it. So a lot of the things you can do in Xcode, like adding references or changing system configure or uh, project configurations or whatever, can be done with this gem. And so they use that gem to modify your Xcode project to set up the dependencies. They create a workspace for you and put your project and the pods project in that workspace. And uh, the only sort of, I won't call it cumbersome, but just a, sort of minor nuisance is that you usually have your Xcode project open while this happens. And now you need to use a workspace, so you have to close the window and then open it 
back up with the workspace instead of the project. But from that point onward, you're just dealing with the workspace, and you can pod install all you want, and it will just update what it needs to. And how do you handle um, multiple platforms? Is that just another target, or...? Well, since I don't really do multiple platforms, uh-huh. I haven't tackled that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so a pod itself can support, like AF Networking, for instance, supports both Mac and iOS. And if you are going to uh, have multiple targets, one for iOS and one for Mac, and a pods project, then I think you would just have to be careful to have all of your common pods in the sort of top level and then do target-specific pods for the ones that should only be linked to an OS X project. But then you can only have one project in your workspace, or do you have two projects? or uh, You can have as many as you want, yeah, yeah. But it's only going to modify the main project that it finds. So like, oh. if there are two Xcode projects in, in there, I'm not sure if it'll just throw up and say which one do you want, or if it'll just pick the first one, but you can specify which project are you going to have CocoaPods integrate with. And then if you wanted to add to that workspace later on, I think you could... I think that would be fine. Mm-hmm. Do you typically have like one project with multiple targets or like two projects in one workspace? Yeah, I'll generally do multiple targets. I think we've got some OSX builds and iOS builds and we'll have one project for the stuff that for the stuff that needs to be cross platform. I'll probably do a multiple ta- multiple target two targets. Yeah, I used yeah, to so do. Yeah, so it seems like that workflow would be really like ideal for CocoaPods just cuz you could just do do the target specific pods. I, I same same thing. We I have a couple projects that have cross platform that are cross platform, and I use multiple targets in one project. So you just when you're building for iOS, you just use the iOS targets, and for the Mac apps, you use the Mac targets. Yeah. So what I'm talking about is a little more complicated because I actually have the the shared code factored out into a framework on OS 10 and a, and a static library on iOS, but. The framework and the static library are built by the same project. It just has an OS 10 target that builds a framework and an iOS target that compiles a static library. Hmm. Sounds like fun. So then once once these pods are sort of living in your repository, and that's sort of a, a choice that you can make of whether or not to ignore the pods folder or not, of like what it downloads and integrates. In the Ruby community, when you install a gem, it installs on your system, and your project looks for them in the system path. So every developer needs to run bundle install in order to get the latest gems. And when you install it on a server, you probably also run bundle install, which led to, well, what if we just want to have all the gems ready and we, or we don't want to do bundle install on a server or whatever? Then that would lead you to vendoring gems, which is basically checking them into your project. And in the CocoaPods community, they looked at this and said, we'd rather just check in the dependencies, the exact versions you need, so that not everybody needs to know or care that you're using CocoaPods. Uh, all the code is already there. So uh, that's the approach that they took by default, but both sort of scenarios are supported. Uh, so I will typically check in my pods project or pods uh, folder into my GitHub repository uh, and push it. And that way everything, all the dependencies and everything are there in my project. If the project went away tomorrow, I would still have the code. And then when a coworker downloads it, they don't need to run pod install at all. Yeah, the big trade-off is with, Ruby, at least, is that um, some of the gems compile C code, and so depending on the system you're on, you may not want to install the gem locally like you do with the CocoaPods. Right. With the CocoaPods, it makes sense because, you know, you, you kind of build everything at once You when you compile your right. project. So it makes a lot of sense to just put it in there, and then you can pass it around, and it doesn't really matter because the, the build process is mostly architecture-independent. 
and it doesn't vary a ton between the different mechs anyway, so it's not going to kill you off to have something in one versus the other, on one machine right. versus the other. Another thing to note is that the Ruby Motion supports CocoaPods, so you can... Uh, I was about to ask that. <laughs> yeah, you can use uh, all the, even Objective-C CocoaPods, you can use them in Ruby Motion. And and d- does it work any differently there? I mean, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, um, you can write, well, I guess you do need a Mac to build your Ruby Motion stuff, so... Yeah, you you put your pods. Your I don't think you have a pod file. Instead, you put them in your rake file. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a gem called Motion Cocoa Pods um, that integrates it into that. That's kind of a bit of a mind bend, right? You've got gems that are specific <laughs> to Ruby Motion that you can use, and there's usually a prefix of Motion Dash, right? And then you have Cocoa Pods, which are actual Objective C libraries. Right. Yeah, but they still compile using LLVM and all the stuff that you're used to, so. I'm pretty sure Ruby Motion uses LLVM as well, mm-hmm. so it it's it's a similar process. It's just compiling Ruby instead of Objective. Didn't you watch the Ghostbusters? Look the same. It's like Thanksgiving dinner. Watch- it all ends up in the same place, right? <laughs> <laughs> but didn't you guys watch Ghostbusters? You're not supposed to cross the streams. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're tempting me to say something that's not family friendly again. <laughs> You just have Mandy cut it out and tell us so we can laugh. <laughs> yeah. so, so are you guys using CocoaPods on, like, kind of client work? Because in that case, you know, it definitely makes sense. To, I always check it into whatever they have so that they don't, they're not reliant on kind of the pods. You know, I'm not entirely comfortable saying, oh, yeah, the source code's out, you know, on the cloud somewhere, even if it's on GitHub, which is, you know, fairly stable. Um, do you guys have any good practices for keeping it in source control kind of for client work? Or have you done anything like that? Yeah, I mean, it goes in everything I do, personal, side project, client work, everything. Yeah, it's definitely something that I want to play with a little bit more um, while I'm still learning this stuff. But yeah, are there any other... For example, when you're testing, do CocoaPods make it easier or harder to test? Easier. Because your testing tools are typically distributed through CocoaPods also. Uh, so like, I typically use a Kiwi or Specta. Uh, but you can also pull an OC mock or any of the others, like OC Handcrest, uh, for matchers. Whatever testing tool you want to use, you could probably use that way. And, um, so it just makes it easier to get started. Before CocoaPods, Kiwi had a wiki page that was probably, I don't know, like 10 printed pages for, full of setup with screenshots of all the crap you have to do in order to get, uh, Kiwi working. Cause you have to link it into your project, but only for a separate target. Cause you don't necessarily want to, ship your unit tests, right? So you have a separate target uh, just for your tests, and you have to link Kiwi to that, and you need to make sure and uh, make sure all of the libraries that you're using in your main target are also checked for the for the test target. It's just kind of a pain. So do you do any kind of integration testing from your code to the pods and back, or do you just kind of mock them out? I suppose that depends on the nature of the pod. Like Something like AF networking, uh, you have two choices. You could mock the AF networking interface and sort of call the success callbacks or failure callbacks yourself. And I think that's probably not a great idea uh, because you're mocking an interface that you don't own. And there's something, there's other gems out there like um, OH, I think it's OHHTTP stubs, which can stub the underlying NS URL connection behavior. So you can say, okay, uh, when you get a request that looks like this, I want you to turn this response and then sort of trust that AF networking is going to work. And that's more of an integration style in terms of your, your code integrating with AF networking, but um, but you're still stubbing the network. So 
Um, that's the approach I would generally take. Um, but a lot of times I'm, you know, testing on iOS is so much harder than it is in Ruby. So the tests that end up being written the most are the ones that don't have many dependencies, right? Where you don't have a whole lot of mocking to do. Yeah, that makes sense. So are there, there, there any other parts of CocoaPods that we want to talk about? Uh, what about creating your own pods? Yeah, that's a good idea. Is it really that Anybody hard? else have CocoaPods? It's not hard at all, but uh, there are some cases out there that you know people were kind of frustrated with how difficult it was just because their library was bigger or more complicated for whatever reason. The, the pods that I created are dead simple, uh, so it's just a couple of source files that I need to compile and give it a license. So one of those is a BS modal picker view, and it's it's sort of something that I use all the time. It's really simple. But basically, you give a, a button and it presents a picker view from the bottom and sort of gives you a faded background image that you can tap to cancel. And uh, that way you can like make a quick selection. It's almost like anytime you have a form that needs a dropdown, I use that. And um, so there's a pod spec for that. And the way I created that was uh, with pod spec create. And I think that takes arguments for the GitHub project and the name of your pod. And so it gives you a sample pod, uh, pod spec file. And uh, like I said earlier, that should be in the root of your project when you push to GitHub so that people can use this directly with your project. So, that, for instance, they could use the head of Git and not necessarily a tagged version if they want. Uh, so anyway, the pod spec goes in the root of your project and it tells, gives you a description and version information and what files you want to compile. And if you have any sort of uh, uh, like resources, like images that you need to embed in the, in the prods static library that gets created, uh, then it can you can specify those as well. And then once you're all done, you create a tag for this version. Typically, you'll start with 0.0.1 if you don't yet have a public version. Or if you're creating a pod spec for somebody else's library and they don't have versioning yet, then you will start out with 0.0.1. And uh, then you run pod spec lint, which will verify everything you just did and make sure that the pod spec is correct. And uh, I'm not sure the official approach to pushing a, pod, a CocoaPod I believe you just run pod spec push and it works. Uh, but I have write access to that repo, so I'm not sure if it works because I have write access to that repo or if that's the the intended way for everybody to do it. Now, do you have other options uh, for hosting other than like Git on GitHub? It's a pretty flexible. Uh, yeah, like that. so we yep we have uh, two sort of common pods that are private to our company, and uh, we have a private. They happen to be private GitHub repositories, but they could be wherever. And instead of hosting them directly through CocoaPods and putting them in the CocoaPods index, you can just use the uh, Git and tag uh, versions. Like so you can say, okay, go to this URL and pull out this tag, or a path on disk, or I mean, it, it doesn't have to be GitHub. It could be like Bitbucket or some other uh, GitHub repository or a path on disk somewhere. Yeah, and then you just put the pod spec in so that it handles it like a regular pod. I mean, if the pod spec is already in the root of that GitHub repository, then you're already good. Yeah. Uh, the only time I have to create my own pod spec is if the library doesn't have it in there. So I think like uh, Windows Azure Mobile Services had a um, had a bunch of uh, client libraries in one repository. So like iOS was a subfolder, and so it didn't work there. And so I had to uh, create my own pod spec for that that pointed to the right spot in the repository where the code was. That, that, so another question I have then is, um, I'm assuming you can write pods that depend on other pods. Do you yeah, just so put that's the dependencies a, into the pod spec? Yep, uh, dependencies on other pods and frameworks. So if you're doing like a core data related pod, then you can say I depend on core data and I depend on like magical record. And when you do pod install, it will install magical record, the pod, 
put that in, code in there and then make it will link your uh, pods projects to the core data framework. Nice. And if you so if you've created a project that depends on or and you pull in a pod that depends on core data but you haven't enabled core data in your project, will it automatically fix that for you or give you a warning or do you just have to know? Well, that? so <laughs> so that checkbox in Xcode is for two things: one to generate some really horrible template code, and two to like add core data framework to your project. So like the the latter is handled for you by CocoaPods. Uh, but creating horrible template code, uh, I could do without. So I usually don't check that box anyway. So what it does is it goes in and basically puts in the include or require or whatever that pulls it in. Right. So linking your project with that, and then I think it puts coreData.h in your prefix header, so it's available everywhere. But then it puts a bunch of core data setups, like to set up the core data stack with all the defaults. It like dumps all that in your app delegate, and I don't like it there, so I usually move it somewhere else. Okay. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into the picks then. Andrew, you want to start us off with picks? So I only have one pick this week again, sort of quick pick, but my pick is Objective-C modules, uh, which are a feature of uh, Clang 3.4 in LLVM. And so modules actually address some of what we talked about CocoaPods addressing today, and this is a new feature in the compiler, where for system frameworks, you don't actually include a header anymore. You use a, an at import directive to say that you need a, a certain module, which corresponds to a, to a system framework. And Xcode or the compiler takes care of including that for you in, in the build. So you don't have to go in manually anymore until it'll link with that framework. And also, um, it speeds up compilation because it avoids the whole huge include problem where when you just import .h, you're, you're actually including all of that code and the code in headers that it includes in your compilation unit. So uh, I just think that's going to be great in the future. It's not widely used yet, but um, without saying too much, if you've got access to the WWDC videos, go and watch them. But that's upcoming, Xcode 5? Upcoming, yep. It's it's in, uh, it's in Clang or in LLVM now. It's not supported in Xcode yet, but well, that's really interesting. We'll have to see what they uh, manage to do with it. Jane, what are your picks? I found a little library for kind of unit testing asynchronous stuff. So if you get if you controller and you're throwing something on a background thread, um, it's called UT Async, and it's just a small little C library that, if you have to actually test some asynchronous code, allows you to do that. Because I know I get in that case where I inherit some code that maybe wasn't set up to be tested, but we can kind of get around some of that. So I recommend that. Awesome. Uh, Rod, what are your picks? Uh, I'm going to pick a couple of uh, Xcode plugins. One is called the CocoaPods Xcode plugin, which uh, is a plugin that will help you manage your CocoaPods right in Xcode. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but it's, it sounds interesting. And then uh, there's another one called VV Documenter, which helps you do... Uh, Java doc-like stuff for Objective-C with templates right in your code. Those are my picks. Awesome. Ben, what are your picks? I've got two picks. The first one is CocoDocs.org, which allows you to search for any CocoaPod, and it will give you the documentation for it. So if you're using a sort of Apple Doc-style documentation, uh, then you can have one place to go grab it all, uh, which is super handy. Um, and then the next pick is uh, CocoaPod's Xcode plugin. So um, I believe this is now requiring Xcode 5, so it should be out pretty soon. But it might also, I tried this out with Xcode 4, and it seemed to work. 
uh, if I remember correctly. So anyway, it gives you a, me- a menu in, in Xcode that will say install pod file, edit pod file, uh, install your pods, that sort of thing. Uh, so it's just if you like working directly with Xcode and don't want to jump to terminal just for that, then that might be something to check out. And those are my picks. Awesome. All right, so uh, my picks are more uh, related to the book I just read. Um, I just read Getting Things Done for the second time. Um, we're going to be interviewing David Allen this afternoon for the Freelancer Show. And um, anyway, so I'm going to pick the book because it is just awesome. And uh, I picked up a whole lot of stuff that I didn't get the first time. And so I'm, I'm really excited to uh, kind of rework some of my uh, productivity behaviors and then the other thing that I'm picking is the software that I use to get stuff done, and that is OmniFocus. And so I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But OmniFocus, it's a little bit expensive, but it is by far the best software i found for uh, managing uh, lists, to-dos. It does syncing between the iPad and the iPhone and the, iP- and the Mac. So the thing that I really like about it is that... Uh, I can get it on my phone, and my wife will remind me something that I need to do. And so I'll go in, and I'll put that into OmniFocus on my phone. And then when I go through and review my to-dos later and, you know, uh, work through my inbox, it'll actually get moved to the right place. It'll get synced back over. If I'm out and about in my in the car and I'm like, well, what do I need to do while I'm out? I can just pull it out. I can look at the context for, you know, in the car or things like that and then I just know what I can do so I can go and pick up the stuff that I need to get and, uh, you know, get a whole bunch of stuff done. It's just really, really handy. And it's a terrific way of managing all this stuff, especially if you're self-employed and you're uh, trying to manage, like, marketing and clients and finding clients and um, subcontractors and all the other stuff that you have to do, paying taxes and what have you. So, uh, anyway, it's super, super awesome tool, um, and it's a great way to get things uh, get things done. So... Anyway, those are my picks, and uh, yeah, so uh, thanks for coming, everybody. We'll wrap this up. We'll catch you all next week.